dot O-R-G. Um, a note to our listeners, 365 days a year, we do our part at KPFA, bringing you independent news, critical analysis, arts and culture, and unformatted music. A few times a year, we ask you to do your part by pledging financial support for this station. Do it now, without the nagging, at www.kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next is Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone, Stone's Throw. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of sight this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw am I on the right mic darling Oops, right. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Once in a while, I change mics. What a shock. <laughs> I didn't see what mic I was on. I'm telling you what a day it has been. I was racing down to the studio today, and uh, I left my notes on the bus. Oh, yes, that's the way I do things, folks. Uh, late last night, I was trying to write a respectable, a respectable uh, epitaph for our own Toby Cole. <laughs> and I've forgotten it, yes. Uh, we have lost Toby Cole. KPFA listeners will want to know this. And I will, uh, I will let you know if we have the, um, memorial soon. Toby is survived by her son, John Crutch, and his wife and child, but they're out of the country. So when they get here, um, they're coming back to Berkeley. Uh, then we can make plans, um, see if we can do a memorial that Toby would like. Um, let's see. Uh, Toby was a significant elder here at KPFA, and those of you who know her um, will, of course, be grieved. She had a long run at 91 Uh Oh, dear, she would be cross with me for losing her, what do you call that, <laughs> her proper credits, the list of all of her accomplishments, but I couldn't possibly fit it into half an hour. Uh, Toby was a stickler for professionalism, you know, for getting it right. She was a stern activist, critic, an editor, and a passionate partisan Always the socialist scholar. I think we go through the archives and find her piece on Sacco and Vanzetti. I think that would be the best one to recall some of her work. Uh, she was always ready to argue for progressive ideas, absolutes. Uh, she was 
an incredibly stern critic of the theater. In our time, you know, most folks think of theater, drama, plays, you know, as entertainment. Um, Toby would have none of that. She was definitely uh, like Bertolt Brecht. She thought of the theater as a hammer with which to shape culture, history. Uh, it was her milieu for years and years. My oldest friend here in Berkeley, uh, Jean Shelton, always speaks of Toby when it comes to acting. She says for her students, the best book is Toby's Actors on Acting. She edited many years ago. I toted that around, oh gosh, when I was an actor and both for students and for my own reference. Uh, look it up on the net, Toby Cole, C-O-L-E, Toby with a Y. Long ago, long, long ago, in the time of the uh, <laughs> House on American Activities Commission, Toby was the agent of Zero Mostel back in the day. Tovarich, comrade, farewell. Toby, and goodbye. There is a poem in your book about Venice, Toby, that I think uh, I should read. That's the one, right? Uh here it is. It's all about uh, the grand design. It's about the extinction of the Venetian Republic, and I think it fits uh, my old friend uh, Toby Cole. It is written by William Wordsworth. <laughs> I won't read it all to you, but... Uh, just a little bit, Venice, the eldest child of liberty. She was a maiden city, bright and free, no guile seduced, no force could violate. And when she took unto herself a mate, she must espouse the everlasting sea. And what if she had seen those glories fade, those titles vanish, and that strength decay? Yet shall some tribute of regret be paid when her long life hath reached its final day. Men are we, and must grieve, when even the shade of that which once was great is passed away. I'll get back to that book on Venice in a minute. Ah, uh, it's my favorite of... Toby's uh, uh, editorial efforts. Uh, and, of course, when I think of Toby, I think of the great red star of socialism, perhaps burnt out in the 20th century, some people would say, but surely um, I think not. I think that the whole idea of socialism is an idea about a shared fate, that is a socialist society, uh, a communal society. The words have become murderous in our time, but I think of it as a phoenix waiting to rise again. They're all just waiting in the wings. <laughs> Some people think that Barack Obama is, what is it, is an angel, winged. Uh, well, 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 as Fats Waller used to say, one never know, do one. <laughs> yes. Rebirthing 
of the human values, I guess. Just change the names. Toby would flinch when I would say, well, Jane Fonda says, <laughs> Jane Fonda says, uh, say economic democracy. That makes it softer, you see. <laughs> Call it multiculturalism or a global labor movement. Yes, a global minimum wage. There you go. The UN is the United Nations, the Union, yes, uh, International Union, and not free trade, but fair trade, uh, changing the motives of nations, yes. <laughs> This is quite a task. Toby believed in the power of culture to change or to modify the culture of power. Uh, I was raised on that. Uh, some of my younger friends, the economists, tell me it's nonsense that uh, we should just follow the money and figure it out. I don't know what motivates people. I really don't. Uh, I know it when I see it, though. Right, yes. Aesthetics. Aesthetics is the mother of ethics. We give people beauty and they will find the truth. Yes, uh, we tenderize the young And they will behave themselves. Uh, what was it we used to say? Yes. Uh, we used to say that art, art is always beyond, beyond politics, um, beyond morality. But it is never above it. You know, the art for art's sakes, folks, the artists who say that they're not political. <laughs> That's a lot of BS. Um, all art is, of course, political art. All life is political art. I just think, does it sometimes we have a problem with the labels? I remember back in the 1930s. Actually, that isn't something I remember. Or it's something I studied back in the days of Clifford Odets and let's see, Emma Goldman. She's even before uh, Rosa Luxemburg. I identify Toby with that era, those times. And I think of her, uh, what is that, as uh, one of the first, one of the early ones. Uh, I I did try to write a decent uh, uh, epitaph last night, but it fell to pieces. Um, you remember, I, I made a list of all the great ones, Emily Dickinson, she's the one who said, uh, she said that she was called back. Those were her last words. Uh, I think of the great George Sand. She became an ecologist at the end. Uh, it's very difficult to translate her last words. They come up something on the order of keep off the grass. That is to say, uh, don't mess with the earth, you know. Keep things green. I think of all those, all those we have lost, gone to gardens in the night. Uh, seems to me that in late life, cultivating a green sensibility is what it's all about. Uh, you know, thinking about the future, those who are coming after us, those, uh, the next to be born. And then, of course, I think of... <laughs> My parents' generation, my mother and her folks, yes. 
she would be with the Dorothy Parker bunch. Dorothy Parker was perhaps my favorite when it comes to the funny uh, epitaphs. Dorothy Parker said, excuse my dust. <laughs> the worst one was my oldest friend, my mother's best pal. She said, yes, I wish to be cremated and my ashes thrown in their faces. Oh, God bless that woman. Her name was, uh, let's see, Elsa Richards. I only remember her because um, she was the most, what I would call, lifelike person I have ever known. She uh, was definitely part of the uh, the culture of life as opposed to the culture of death. Uh, today is uh, officially the first day of summer. And I was going to read you all this uh, poetry and stuff about... Uh, summertime and rebirthing and all this good stuff and I'm not quite sure uh, how to juxtapose that with the loss of Toby Uh, last night I went through some of her things and the truth is my most favorite absolute favorite book is the one she put together about Venice Toby lived in uh, Venice uh, off and on for years and years and years. And she put together the most wonderful book. Uh, it's called A Portable Reader, edited by Toby Cole, Lawrence Hill, and Cole, Westport, Connecticut. This one is dated 1979. Venice, A Portable Reader. And I've only been to Venice once, and then briefly. And the truth is that this book uh, is much richer than what I learned in a mere two days um, so interesting uh, uh, I think what is it I could read you all the titles of all the articles and all of the people she's included uh, particularly those who went there in the 19th century but let me jump right in here and tell you about a guy uh, well it's a woman actually he was born James Morris, and he became Jan Morris. And that got our attention because the transsexual, um, transgendered thing was uh, very noteworthy uh, in the old days. And uh, I find him special because he's such a brilliant writer. Made me want to go to Trinidad and Turkey and all these places. Uh, he's... Um, just an amazing guy. Uh, pardon me, woman, Jan Morris. Um, what I liked, his essay, uh, it's called The Grand Design. Let's see. Let me just jump right in. What he liked was the, the organization of the Venetian state. Um, let me read you about uh, this uh, Venetian state. Um, he describes, first of all, the extraordinary physical background of Venice... And then he says, the Venetians erected a no less remarkable kind of state. At first, it was a kind of patriarchal democracy. It became an aristocratic oligarchy of the tightest kind, in which, after 1297, power was strictly reserved to a group of patrician families. Dear me. Executive authority passed first to this aristocracy, 
then to the inner council of ten, and later more and more to the still more reclusive and reticent council of three, which was elected in rotation a month at a time. Good Lord, to maintain this supremacy and to prevent both popular rising and personal dictatorships. The structure of the state was buttressed with tyranny, ruthless, impersonal, bland, and carefully mysterious. Sometimes the stranger passing by the doge's palace would find a pair of anonymous conspirators hanging, mangled, from a gibbet, or hear a whisper of appalling torture in the dungeons of the tin. Once the Venetians awoke to discover three convicted traitors buried alive, head downwards among the flagstones of the piazza, their feet protruding between the pillars. Time and again they learnt that some celebrated national leader, Admiral, Yes, a great one had grown too big for his buskins and had been strangled or thrown into jail. Venice was a sort of police state, except that instead of worshipping power, she was terrified of it and refused it to any single one of her citizens. And by these means, at once fair and ferocious, she outlived all her rivals and preserved her republican independence until the very end of the 18th century. I find this uh, this chapter fascinating. Uh, uh, what Jan Morris tells us about Venice because <laughs> I made the terrible mistake last night of watching a movie called Recount. I don't recommend it, except for masochists like myself. Uh, Recount, oh, is a movie. It's on the cable television now. Unbearable picture about the election of the year 2000 in these United States. Oh, Lord, what a headache, what a nightmare. Once or twice, I really turned it off. I couldn't bear it. But it had John Hurt and Kevin Spacey. And it had Laura Dern, a great actress, as Kevin Harris. You remember the lady from Florida. Laura Dern. Yes, it's Catherine Harris. Um, in her silly T-shirts, a woman uh, uh, definitely miscast in life. Uh, she apparently saw herself as Queen Esther back there in 2000, and she saw herself, she said she'd been reading her Bible, and she saw herself as Queen Esther, she wanted to be the heroic woman who saved the king, you know, uh, anyway, uh, I think Laura Dern should get an Emmy for this hilarious turn, but I I wish I could think it was funny, uh, it's so hard to remember that election in 2000. Uh, the movie at one point is heartbreaking. Uh, I want to believe uh, what they say that Al Gore is, uh, what is it, uh, is the sort of man who is more interested in preserving the republic than he is in winning an election. I hope that's true and I hope that's what motivated him uh, at the same time, 
I'm not sure. Um, the movie, the the um, publicity insists that they tried as hard as they could to be accurate. Uh, the great actor Tom Wilkinson, now one of our best character actors, plays James Baker. Mm. <laughs> Nasty fellow. He's uh, sort of a malevolent sense of humor. I watched him playing James Baker and thought of his role in the recent series, John Adams, where he played uh, the role of Benjamin Franklin. His Benjamin Franklin is uh, absolutely lovely, humanist, funny, uh, cryptic, brilliant, uh, aging old man Ben Franklin in France. <laughs> playing, yes, playing the rustic, as he says. Here's the same actor playing a modern politician who is so unpleasant he gives you nightmares. Yes, James Baker. He also should get an Emmy for his role in this show. Uh, I just kept wincing and thinking, do we have to watch all this? Is Is it really worth all the agony we went through? You know, the chads and the hanging chads and all that stuff uh i just i don't know i think maybe the venetians had a better idea <laughs> a murderous idea it's impossible to devise a system of government that you know will go on forever i thought of the the role of thomas jefferson in the recent series john adams they portrayed jefferson as uh probably the the best of breed uh jefferson states over and over as he did in his writings it's there in history yes that he did not think that one generation could bind another generation you know that tradition should rule he believed that each generation was free to set up the government that it desired uh Yes, some people believe this. You know, we go to sleep every night. And uh, there's a wonderful story by Dorothy Bryant years ago. Yes. <laughs> in which, uh, yes, they slept in circles of 12. And they awoke in the morning and told each other their dreams and made a new creation myth and started things all over again every day. I'm not sure we're ready for that kind of democracy or that kind of freedom, if that is freedom, uh, difficult to know, difficult to know. But anyway, Jefferson was uh, not an anarchist, perhaps, but uh, <laughs> he definitely, definitely was crazy about the French Revolution. It's very hard to pin down uh, uh, what a progressive is Benjamin Franklin was obviously, what is that, uh, the most, what was it, what would you call it, the, the populist. Uh, in the first place, he started out poor. I think that helped. Jefferson was a man of privilege. And while he espoused these wonderfully democratic ideas, uh, this is the guy who um, went bankrupt, of course, and... Uh, I remember reading the lists of material goods that he brought back from France, and I, I have to admit that he had very aristocratic tastes, and he did not 
of course, free his slaves, as even George Washington did. Uh, uh, Jefferson freed his own children, uh, Sally's children. But let's face it, uh, he was what we call a champagne socialist. Uh, you know the sort of thing. My mother used to call them parlor pinks. They talk a good game, but when it comes right down to it, uh, they do not share. Uh, they are not uh, like uh, they are not uh, Franciscan friars or anything like that. Uh, I don't know about about socialism. I certainly don't know much about Thomas Jefferson. I've studied him so long. It seems to me that uh, he made all the compromises that liberals today make and uh, he is of course much admired but he never really had to bite the bullet as they say uh, he was a romantic um, in any case Toby Cole was certainly a romantic the best kind uh, <laughs> I, I wish I uh, uh, had time to read you more of her book on Venice. The truth is, um, it's worth taking out of the library, folks. These days, these books seem to me almost arcane. Venice is probably the world's greatest museum. And, uh, yes, Venetians toiled for their city, determined that she should be great, that she should be beautiful beyond all others that her power and splendor should outdo every rival. Once again, we're talking about power and the display of power. It's very difficult to know. I uh, am not one of those who visits old churches. <laughs> I find them to be oppressive. Uh, I don't know. Um, I get into terrible arguments when I go uh, looking at the, what is it, the uh, Gothic displays of the past, all the beautiful things that were done to make the poor feel small. In any case, I do recommend this book. It has all the usual suspects, Henry James portraits. Uh, Machiavelli is in here. Edward Gibbon, you remember him, the fall of Rome, uh, sack of Constantinople. Mary McCarthy is well represented. Jacques Casanova, a native son of Venice. How he escaped, you know, across the Bridge of Sighs. <laughs> and plenty of Bernard Berenson, John Ruskin, uh, and uh, even his wife Effie, Effie Ruskin, is in here. The great ones, Charles Dickens, Mark Twain, uh, Wolfgang von Goethe. Let's see. The one I liked best when I first got this book was by George Sand. She had an awful time in Venice. She was there with this poet, and he <laughs> he kept running out on her, and so she had an affair with her doctor. And it's mostly her romantic adventures in Venice in 1834. It's a yummy piece of. And, of course, there's Shelley and Byron and, you know, the boys. There's Thomas Mann's Death in Venice, a particularly uh, 
particularly favorite piece of mine, I had a shocking experience. As I said, I was only in Venice for a day. And uh, I I witnessed uh, a near-death. The man was eventually put in ambulance and taken away. And I thought, you know, I thought the gods must be playing tricks on me to stage something so dramatic. Uh, It seemed, what is it? It seemed a little perverse. I went there, you know, looking for drama. It's like, yes, a room with a view. Ernest Hemingway is the last one here. Marcel Proust and James Fenimore Cooper are included. I've been pawing over a book by Toby Cole, who has died and uh, left us. We hope to have her memorial soon. The book is called Venice, a Portable Reader, and it's one of her special accomplishments. One of my uh, keep-it-on-the-shelf-forever books. Toby was a Venetian. uh, And we will miss her. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Berkeley World Music Festival, Saturday, June 7th, offers free continuous music, noon to nine. Everything from the People's Park Dance Party with Samba Da, Afro-Brazilian, Creo Bells, Zydeco, Sukhavad Ali Khan, Stephen Kent, Placila and the Afro-Funk Experience to Telegraph Avenue Cafes with Dengue Fever, Disciples of Marcos, Eva Skiles Brazilian Choro, Ombre Tango, Arabian Pan.